Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Celebrating pro and college football history, one legend at a time. Hi everybody, welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of the Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press, and writer-director of We Were the Oilers, The Love Ya Blue Era, both available on Amazon.com and at TheGameBeforeTheMoney.com. Today's guest is Pete Koch, who not only played pro football alongside Hall of Famer Howie Long, but he also starred with Clint Eastwood in the movie Heartbreak Ridge. Pete's NFL career started as a first-round draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, then he played for the Kansas City Chiefs, and ended his career with the Los Angeles Raiders. Pete played college ball at the University of Maryland. He played defensive line at Maryland on a team quarterbacked by Boomer Esiason and that won the ACC championship. He credits the Terrapin strength and conditioning program for ramping up his game. I was attracted to uh, attending the University of Maryland because they had one of the highly regarded strength and conditioning programs. Not a lot of people sort of understand this, but there's a very strong connection between how strong an athlete is and how fast they can run. That's why when you watch the sprinters in the Olympics and you look at their legs and their upper body development, they look so radically different than marathon runners. Truly fast people are truly strong. And when I got to the University of Maryland. I wanted to be as explosive and as fast as powerful. And they told me I, they could help me achieve that because of the strength training that I did. And it's a fact. I went from a kid that was barely recruited anywhere out of high school to a first round draft pick due to the transformation I made at the University of Maryland. The head strength and conditioning coach there was Frank Costello, who's something of a 70s and 80s, uh, you know, legendary strength and conditioning coach who's still around. He's training in the, in the private sector. He, he still lives back in Maryland. He's, and he's, he's really um, very, very special talent. And he taught me how to be strong. He taught me how to be quick and powerful and explosive, which served me very well, both college and the NFL. Pete was a first round draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals in 1984. That's a dream come true for any football player. Pro sports is a unique career, however, in that the top candidates coming out of college can only negotiate with one employer. Draft choices in today's NFL pretty much have their salary predetermined based on where they're selected in the NFL draft. That is through the collective bargaining agreement. Things were a lot different in 1984 when Pete was drafted. More than half the players in the, in the first round, by the time training camp started, they were holding out. It was a mess, and it was a, it was a, it was a system that was in disarray. And I was one of the guys that, w- that was holding out and made things very difficult. I've talked to guys, other guys later on that, that were also holding out. The teams were really low-balling uh, their offers to all the players, and it was, uh, it was extremely unfair to the players. A lot of outsiders look at pro athletes 
and scoff about holding out for a higher salary. Some say players get paid to play a game, and they should be thankful that they're getting paid anything. But to players holding out, is it really more about money than the game? I never met a single football player in my life that didn't want to be on the field doing what he does best and what he loves and feels passionately about playing football. But in this case, I was uh, forced to hold out. So when I did finally come to an agreement, I believe I missed the first two weeks of training camp. I did not get a warm reception from my teammates, uh, with, a, with a few exceptions. Dave Remington extended his hand to me. Chris Collinsworth was friendly. Turk Schoner, a handful of guys. Kenny Anderson was fine. And then I had one college teammate on that team, Boomer Sison. He was great. But uh, it was extremely stressful. And the head coach, Sam Weish, was, uh, I don't know what his problem was, but he was uh, unfriendly to me. He was unwelcoming to me. Couldn't have done any more of a job to show his disdain for me and holding out. Got off to completely the wrong foot with him. I lost total respect within a matter of moments for the head coach of the football team I just signed a contract with. And that's a fact. Pete's dream of playing in the NFL came true, but factors other than football already affected his career. And nobody wants to get paid less than what they're worth. And everybody wants to fit in and feel accepted by their boss and coworkers. We all want an opportunity to get a dream job, work hard at it, and excel. Pro football players aren't much different. I think most players, when they get to the NFL, they envision themselves staying with one team uh, throughout their career and you know, sort of cementing their legacy with one organization. And I felt the same way. But when I got to Cincinnati and I saw all the, the tension that was going on in the locker room there, it really surprised me. Like any job, some situations can work out between you and an employer, and sometimes they don't. In most jobs, you part ways and you can choose a better situation. Again, in pro sports, it's a little bit different. You can get placed on waivers. Cincinnati put Pete on waivers after his first season. His name went out on the waiver wire, meaning that teams had an opportunity to claim him. It's kind of like the draft where the team with the worst record can claim a player before better teams have their chance. The Kansas City Chiefs claimed Pete on waivers and took over his contract. Thankfully for him, the Chiefs were a much better fit. When I was released by the Bengals in uh, training camp um, in 85 and was claimed on waivers and went to the, the Kansas City Chiefs, I thought 30 seconds after... I got involved in the first meeting. I thought I, I, I won a lottery ticket. Most importantly, the quality of the people in that organization, from the coaching staff to the, the fellow players, to the way they conducted business, the uh, medical and training staff, to the equipment people, it was so very terrific. The facilities were outstanding. And I knew it was really a blessing in disguise that, you know, that I had been cut by the Bengals, and I went to a top-flight organization. It wasn't my control. I was claimed on waivers, right? So that was beyond my, my control. But it was a blessing to end up with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm forever thankful for the head coach, John Magvick, and the general manager, Jim Schaff, for taking a, a chance on me because it, it forever changed my career for the better. Although the Kansas City Chiefs never made it to the Super Bowl in the 1980s, the team touted many excellent defensive players. Pete described for us that defensive line and the culture of the team as a whole. That was a, a very special group that uh, initially I was a backup, 
that starting group there was, in my mind, the best in football at that time. I'm talking about 1985. That was uh, Art Still, the left defenseman, Bill Moss, nose tackle, and Mike Boogie Bell at the at right. And and they were special. They were especially talented. But more importantly, they were three of the finest men that I ever knew. And I have the utmost respect for the way they conducted themselves from beginning to end. When I joined that organization, my very first meeting was with the defensive line group. Every one of those guys, and every single guy in the room for that matter, extended their hand to me and welcomed me. And right away, they made me feel like it was a place that I belonged. I recall Bill Moss saying, I don't know, what you think about Cincinnati? And he and I talked about it for a minute. I explained a few things to him. He goes, you know, it's a good thing you're here. You're going to like it here in Kansas City. It's a good place to be. And he was exactly right. And Bill Moss is one of those guys whose name might not be as familiar to a lot of fans, but if you followed pro football in the 1980s, you knew what a force he could be. He had a great career there. He, he was really a special personality. They all, all three were very, very strong personalities. And collectively, we made a lot of plays. And then we changed defensive coordinators and went to a four-man front. And that gave me a place to join the starting lineup. And I'm very proud of that time in my career. And I had the opportunity to be also coached by uh, Walt Corey, who was a former Kansas City Chiefs linebacker and played in uh, Super Bowl one. Walt Corey, I've got great fond memories of him. He just turned 80 years old. And so it was a very special time. Chiefs owner Lamar Hunt went out of his way to provide an inviting atmosphere for the players and their families. The way he went about his business was basically to connect with the guys after the game in the locker room. And then they used to schedule in uh, sort of a family day where they would give the players a half day off and uh, do something special, take the team to a theme park and, you know, pay for everything and invite the families and they were very much family-oriented, as the, the Hunt family will be. Generous, outgoing, and I was grateful to uh, have a chance to get to know the man just a little bit. The Chiefs scouting department helped prepare the team for each opponent. Koch remembers one player's scouting report standing out. A man on a divisional rival Kansas City faced twice each season. Everybody gets an in-depth scouting report of the, that, that week's opponent, and every player's bio is included in there. So you've got John Elway, six feet four, two hundred and thirty-five pounds, and runs some ridiculously, you know, fast for a man that big, forty. And it says he's got the strongest, most live arm probably in the NFL. And you go, who in the world gets everything? I've got uh, a special respect for Dan Marino, who I think was the finest passer. Overall, the football, but John Elway was a special athlete. I remember hitting him just a step after he released the ball, a clean shot. And I remember the feeling of hitting his body was unlike any other quarterback that I ever felt. It felt like it felt like I hit a tight end or, or, or you know, almost an offensive lineman. Powerful physique, moved with grace and power, just a fantastic athlete. The AFC West provides a divided home to many great rivalries. The Chiefs continue to have strong rivalries against the Raiders, Broncos, and Chargers to this very day. Koch remembers those divisional rivalry games quite fondly. It was uh, always an exciting challenge to uh, to play against the Broncos. It's a great AFC West rivalry, and 
those are the games that um, stand out the most, you know, the most meaningful games. Think of it. How much fun is it to play against a team that's weak or has got a quarterback that's not playing well? The fun is challenging yourself to compete against the team that's really strong, the really great offensive line, and the best quarterback in the game running the show. That's exciting. I think the, the AFC West is very strong today and has been for a long time, but I think it was a glorious time because even the Chargers, their glory years were the 80s when they had Eric Coriel, Dan Fouts being such a special quarterback. It was great fun as a defensive player. We felt like the best quarterbacks in the AFC were in the AFC West between those two guys. Uh, probably the third would have been Dan Marino. Even in the 1980s, players held off-season jobs to supplement their NFL income. While with Kansas City, Pete spent his off-seasons in Los Angeles. That move launched a second career in almost accidental fashion. I'm from Long Island, and I had a friend that was an actor in New York City. He was about 10 years older than me, and he'd moved to L.A. to pursue his dream in Hollywood. So my buddy from New York said, hey, why don't you move out and spend your off-season living in L.A.? We can work out together. He was a personal trainer as well as an actor. And I did, and I loved it, I loved L.A. And he uh, said, I think you ought to get an agent. Next thing you know, the same guy, Perry, he says, I'm going to this audition. Come on with me. So I went with him and I crashed the audition. And it was a television commercial looking for a professional wrestler type for a Ford truck. And it was 300 guys in the room. And I got the commercial. I wasn't even a, a member of the Screen Actors Guild. One in 300 chance and I got the job. And then I became eligible to be in the Screen Actors Guild. And my buddy said to me, this is a miracle. This is like never happens, but you did it. I shot it, made a little money, and now I was in the Screen Actors Guild. And I had an agent. And I just kept on that pattern of coming back to L.A. in the offseason. The Ford commercial led Pete to a career that he enjoys to this day. In 1987, Pete broke his wrist against the Chargers, then suffered a knee injury the next week against the Chicago Bears. The injuries required Pete to miss the rest of 1987 and all of the 1988 season. Over that span, the Chiefs plummeted and won only a handful of games. The organization released many players, including Pete. Thankfully, Los Angeles Raiders owner Al Davis and coach Mike Shanahan offered Koch a tryout once he recovered. Koch earned a spot on the Raiders roster. He then adjusted to the team's approach to defense which differed from Kansas City's. I don't know how much of this same verbiage is used today, but we played a heads-up front, pretty much of an even front in Kansas City. We had great success with it. When I got to the Raiders, they played an under uh, or an odd front. They played with four defensive linemen, but they moved around a lot. So it was much more complex, and each week was based on our opponent. It wasn't done that way in Kansas City. Future Hall of Famer Howie Long anchored the Raiders' defensive line. Koch grants insight into what made Long so great. The X factor with the Raiders group was Howie Long. Because he plays every position across the front, from a zero technique to a seven technique, and everything in between. So zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What that means, zero technique is your line head up on the center. One technique is your lined up on the outside shoulder of the center. Well, a five technique is the outside shoulder of the tackle. Seven technique is lined up outside the tight end. So he played every one of those positions, both 
on the left and right side. And, and like most great defensive linemen, depending on the side of the ball he was on, he would play in a right or a left-handed stance. So uh, he was like an ambidextrous defensive lineman. I mean, there's been a handful of guys historically that have done that, but nobody's done it as well as Howie Long. Often, you'll hear stories of superstars like Howie Long outworking everyone in the weight room. Pete said he learned a valuable lesson from a very different aspect of Long's training. Sometimes less is more, and here's how that works out. Typically, groups of players will work out together in the weight room, right? So you got your wide receivers are training over here together, and then your defensive linemen are training over in this section together. So I'd work out with Howie Long, and then the other guys, Bob Golick was on that team, Scott Davis, Greg Townsend, Bill Pekel, these guys. But just when it was my notion to do more, the workout, let's say, required that we all do four sets of bench press, I'd say, let's do five. Let's do six. And I would say, let's do extra pull-ups. So let's do extra this and that. And how would say, nah, I, I just followed the program today. I feel good. feel good. I want to leave a little bit in the tank for the game on Sunday. Just like that. And sure enough, we all know this now, that he had more in his tank on Sunday afternoons than just about any defensive end of his generation. And he knew his body. That's what I learned from him. He had an instinct and a knowledge that he knew. He knew when to push and when to rest. And it's, it's a great level of personal, sort of an internal intelligence that the great ones have. There's an old adage that every player should hope to get traded at least once to experience what it's like to be on another team. As Doug English pointed out in the book, The Game Before the Money, each team has its own unique culture. Koch considers himself fortunate having played for three legendary owners. Undeniably, Paul Brown is every one of the great team owners in the NFL uh, as as Lamar Hunt. And also, the third owner I, I worked in and dealt directly with was Al Davis. I was very fortunate in my career to have uh, played for, for three of them. In hindsight, the fact that I played ultimately with three teams and three very different cultures, you know, it was really a blessing to look, you know, to have that experience. Today, Pete continues working as an actor and as a fitness trainer. Pete retains an amazing level of physical fitness. It almost looks like he could strap on some shoulder pads and play football. He provided us some tips on staying fit as we get older. Don't let yourself get out of shape. Even if you're not really inspired to be physically fit, you got to keep your weight under control. We live in a society where 71% of the population is overweight. That's a tough place to be. So keep your weight under control. We do that with food. It's food. You know, people say they have trouble keeping their weight down, you know, but if somebody locked you in a closet and gave you, you know, 1,500 calories worth of food a day, you'd end up being at your proper weight. But the fact of the matter is 71% of the population are making decisions that are leading to a place where they're overweight. So I encourage people to pay close attention to their weight. The food is the remarkable component to that. And the other is your physical fitness. Just because you are at an appropriate weight doesn't mean you're physically fit and certainly doesn't mean that your metabolism and that your body is working in an optimal way. So we've got these couple of different things that we should all look at. That's our that's our weight, that's our food, and our nutrition, the quality of the foods that we're eating, our physical fitness so that we have a strong heart, lungs, and muscles, and that our bones, particularly women, that our bones and are strong enough. He next made some key points about diet and exercise, underlining their importance for all of us. So I tell people it's important. I say, you know, do you brush your teeth? And they say, yeah, of course I do. You take a day off from brushing your teeth? No, I do it every day. Okay. How about, how about the rest of your body? 
how about those 206 bones and 646 muscles and that central nervous system and all those important internal organs that need exercise? I know people, they take better care of their car than their body. Does that make any sense? Like they would never miss an oil change, but they don't work out. If you got trouble with your car, just replace it, right? If you're sick, what are you going to do? You've developed disease that, that may be preventable if you had been eating and maintaining your weight, eating properly and, and being physically fit. There's all kinds of metabolic diseases, certainly type 2 diabetes and all kinds of diseases that are cancers that are related to obesity and not eating properly. And that's in your control. So make sure that's a priority in your life. Koch also encourages people to start prioritizing fitness over excuses, no matter what physical condition you may be in right now. At the very very least if you're overweight at the very least you ought to be walking 90 minutes a day and that that's a tip that i picked up from dr h uh dr robert heisinga doctor people know from the biggest loser he's the most famous and most respected non-surgical weight loss doctor in the world he was the raiders team physician when i was on the los angeles raiders harvard educated went to michigan undergrad was an all-american wrestler he leads from the front he's a great athlete himself He's got his weight under control, his body fat is low, and he exercises six to seven days a week for 60 to 90 minutes a day. And he's a busy medical doctor in Beverly Hills. He's got the time to do it. What's your excuse? Before finishing the interview, I asked Pete if there was anything important that he'd like to add. He offered some very thoughtful remarks on Steelers' great Mike Webster. I continue to be a big, big fan of the NFL. And I know the NFL might be losing some of its audience in the last couple of years, but I hope that's not the case. The product that you see on the field continues to be very good, despite eight years' worth of rule changes that have made the game safer. Is the game a bit different than the game that I played? It sure is. It all began when the late, great Mike Webster, the Hall of Fame Center for the Steelers, when it was identified that he had damage to his brain that was unique. When he was still alive, I blew up a photograph that's hanging on my wall of me on the line during a play against Mike Webster. And it's it just it breaks my heart to think that he died of a brain disease. Action needed to be taken to protect the players from themselves. And it, it has to be thought of that way because, hey, my head went into Mike Webster's head. I was trying to beat him. I might have contributed to his brain damage. And it makes me sad. But things needed to be changed. They have been changed. The game continues to be very, very good. Rule changes will continue to happen. But that's been the nature of the way the game of football is played in the NFL. He then reiterated the importance of health and fitness and encouraged fans to connect with him via social media. And I hope the same folks out there that are interested in the NFL will also consider their own physical fitness and their own health. And if they have any questions about that, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'm the easiest guy to find, Pete Koch, P-E-T-E-K-O-C-H. And I'm always glad, really, to connect with uh, former fans, whether it was uh, from one of my NFL teams or Swede and Heartbreak Ridge or any of my acting roles. I, I love connecting with people and helping people at every chance. Pete is passionate about sharing the knowledge he's gained. That passion moved him to create 30-second health and fitness videos available for free online. I tried to be a man of value. Einstein said that. We live in a culture where people are consumed with taking selfies. I don't understand it. What I don't understand about it is there's no value in it. And I want to be a man of value. About a year ago, I said, I'm going to give free information on physical fitness 30 seconds at a time. You got 30 seconds while you're brushing your teeth, for goodness sake. Just go to my Instagram page, Pete Koch, P-E-T-E-K-O-C-H, or find me on Facebook. Same thing. 
Pete Koch or on, or on LinkedIn. Pete Koch, easiest guy in the world to find. And then just go and learn a little bit. Nearly every day, I'll post how to make you better 30 seconds at a time. But most of the time, I talk about exercise. Some of the times, I'll talk about food. And sometimes, I'll talk to other fitness pros. Who couldn't benefit from getting a little bit more information from another fitness pro? Or maybe watching me demonstrate an exercise that you can take to your gym or maybe do in your own living room to make you better. 30 seconds at a time. you got 30 seconds. So if you like it, please follow me and share it with your friends. Talking to Pete really inspired me to become more physically active and to prioritize my physical fitness. I've since joined a rec center and it's really made a big difference. I've also checked out some of his videos online and a lot of the exercises are simple enough that even the average person can benefit. You don't have to be a gym rat or a a bodybuilder to be able to do some of the things that Pete does online. Although I have to admit the amount of weight and the number of reps that Pete was doing might have been a little bit more than what I could have done. I kind of did the mini junior version of his routine. And going back to talk a little bit about contracts, Pete mentioned his experience with Bengals head coach Sam Weish. I think it's important to note that was Sam Weish's first year as head coach of the Bengals. He had a lot of expectations. He was taking over a team that had gone to the Super Bowl just a couple of years before. So the way he handled that situation then might not be the way he would have handled that situation later in his career. I recently got to attend a presentation with TCU head coach Gary Patterson. He was talking about the improvements that he's made as a head coach over his career. So it's not only players that have a learning curve, coaches have a learning curve as well. So Sam Weish taking over that team, and Pete was picked 16th overall. The Bengals also had two other draft picks in that first round, and they picked Ricky Hunley 7th overall in that draft, and they were unable to sign him. They ended up trading him to the Denver Broncos. So a lot of times those contract negotiations can be very complex. There's a lot of things going on that the public might not know about, For the players, of course, they only get one career to play. It's a dangerous occupation. They can only do it for a short period of time. A lot of times you hear the NFL referred to as not for long. And of course, as Pete pointed out, the players, they just want to get on the field. They want to play football. They want to do what they do best. And then you have teams with a lot at stake because they're investing a lot of money in a player. And then you have coaches with the pressure to win. So again, a lot of complexity going on with those contracts and a lot of things of which the public probably isn't aware. Ultimately, Sam Weish led that team to a Super Bowl and nearly knocked off the San Francisco 49ers led by Joe Montana and Bill Walsh in their heyday. And also, we'll learn in a later episode something Pete shared with us that happened on that team that Sam Weish actually did a great job in rectifying a difficult situation there in Cincinnati. I'd really like to thank Pete for opening up and giving us a really great perspective through those memories of Mike Webster. Some of the thoughts going through NFL players' minds regarding the concussion issues. Those words really added a human element to those issues as well as the rule changes that are going on in the NFL today.
And of course, thank you to you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Please remember to share and subscribe to this podcast. And remember our website, thegamebeforethemoney.com. Please note that opinions stated on this show don't necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone else, including our supporters.